Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to a special first-time crossover podcast of Strictly Stripes and the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, both gigantic, successful, mega-popular, super-professional podcasts from the Cleveland.com line of NFL podcasts. I am Doug Maurice, and we have an all-star panel here of Bengals writers and Browns writers. For the first of two parts, we are making an all-22, all-Ohio NFL team in advance of the Bengals and the Browns playing each other on Monday. This is the Defense Podcast. We will be back tomorrow with the Offense Podcast. And what we are doing is we are going to throw out everybody from the Browns and Bengals in a mix, and we're going to make the best 11-man defense that we can make right now to do that. We have two great members of our Bengals coverage team from Cleveland.com and two great members of our Browns coverage team from Cleveland.com. Muhammad, we'll start with you. Introduce yourself to all of our wonderful NFL listeners here. I appreciate it, Doug. Yeah, like you said, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. I cover the Bengals for Cleveland.com. I actually am the host of the Strictly Stripes podcast, so this is right up my alley, and I'll be on the podcast tomorrow as well on the offensive side. Uh, I just started, I think, almost exactly a month ago, so it's already been one month since I joined the best team of journalists covering the Bengals and the Browns. Uh, I actually have a different background compared to most writers. I came from TV. I did TV for two and a half years. And I came from Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is not far from Cincinnati. It's really only three and a half. Uh, I'm actually from Kentucky. Um, I'm from Lexington, which is not far from Cincinnati either. I used to write in college. I wrote for The Colonel, which is a student newspaper at UK. And I covered Kentucky football and Kentucky basketball, a.k.a. the best uh, college basketball program wow. in the state, although wow. Doug might wow. have something to say about that, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, um, it's been a wild, wild journey, but it couldn't have come to a better point being with an amazing team like this. And Muhammad, just so you know, I also thought I might go into TV at one point, but in college, I kept getting my neck makeup on my collar. And so I thought I can't do this. So I was out for TV. Mike, introduce yourself to the good people. Yeah, Mike Nizelik, uh spent the last, what, 10 years covering uh, high, high level uh, college football uh, with stops in Auburn and, and Virginia Tech. And now uh, join the NFL beat here with Cleveland.com, kind of full circle. I worked at uh, MLive and Advanced uh, years ago, uh, various properties across the state of Michigan. I'm happy to be here with the uh, crew and, and covering the Bengals. All right. So those are our two Bengals representatives. Irie, introduce yourself to the folks. Greetings, all. Uh, my name is Irie Harris. Before this, I was finishing up uh, graduate school at Syracuse University. 
But during my one year there, I was a part of the student newspaper, uh, the Daily Orange, and just covering whatever was thrown at me, uh, from women's tennis to ice hockey and whatnot. Um, before that, I completed my undergrad at Prairie View and uh, University. So shout out to all the HBCU alum listening. And uh, now, and and Muhammad, I actually can relate to that because maybe not a month, but I've been here for like around two months, all, you know, same. So I'm still somewhat, or as I would like to call it, new guy. So I have that yeah. tag on me for a little bit. Yeah, see, see, exactly. So thank you. And, and Dan, you've been here since the creation of the internet. Introduce yourself. It's a weird, I'm like the old guy on the pod all of a sudden. Yeah, uh, yeah Dan Lobby, um, cover the Browns, obviously, and host the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Also, uh, come from a great basketball school, Kent State University. Shout out to Trevor Huffman and the Antonio Gates. You didn't think this was going to turn into a college basketball podcast, but here we are. And uh, yeah, um, I, I think most people kind of know who I am or are listening to this. So happy to have uh, some Bengals folks on board, too. And just, I just want to explain this very quickly to people who have listened to Strictly Speaking, have listened to the Orange Brown Talk podcast, and you might be thinking, what? Why are they, who they all, they're together? Listen, this is how this works, right? We have a Bengals team that lives in Cincinnati and covers the Bengals for people who care about the Bengals in Cincinnati. And we have a Cleveland team of people who live in Cleveland and cover the Browns for people who care about the Browns. And that's what a lot of major websites do. You you can cover more than one team. And if you don't realize what's happening here is we are taking over Ohio. So watch out, Ohio. If you care about sports in Ohio, we're coming for you. And guess what you're going to get? You're going to get great coverage on the website on podcasts so if you don't have it yet you might have it soon but you've always had it with the browns and now you have it with the with the bengals we're going to get started muhammad you wanted to add something well it's funny that you mentioned people are probably thinking oh cleveland.com covering the bengals it reminded me of the two best responses which i actually want to say came from the bengals locker room when i formally introduced myself to tyler boyd and t higgins i both said yeah i'm muhammad with cleveland.com and tyler boyd was like Cleveland.com? Oh, man. Now, he's being sarcastic, but he said that, and then uh, T. Higgins was like, oh, Cleveland.com? Really? And he was just like, oh, I'm just messing with you, buddy. And, you know, they're both some of the funniest, nicest people in the locker room, but those two responses, I feel like, epitomize probably how a lot of people feel. But like you said, Doug, it's the best. We're taking over. Yeah. So just pretend that the name of our website is CoverYourTeamLikeCrazy.com, and then they'd be like, fine. Oh, oh, you're from CoverYourTeamLikeCrazy.com? I love you guys. Yeah. Because you love our podcast and you love our writing. Let's get into it. We're gonna start, we're gonna start making money right off the top. We're gonna go through and make an 11 man defense from the Bengals and the Browns, the best 11 we can put on the field. And we're gonna start at defensive end. Mike, can you present the defensive end candidates for the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah, two good ones, uh, and and one I think Locke. We'll we'll start with Trey Hendrickson, uh, former uh, New Orleans Saints defensive end who signed uh, with the Bengals two years ago. Last year, led the team in sacks with a career high uh, fourteen. I, I think he's kind of um, quietly um, become an elite pass rusher. I mean, if you look at the stats uh, from Pro Football Focus um, in terms of pressures, had eighty seven of them last year. 53 quarterback hurries. They credit him with 20 sacks, 14 quarterback hits. This year, uh, similar sort of start, um, 28 quarterback pressures already. Uh, you know, elite grade from them this season at 90.3. And, um, you know, just continues to kind of uh, be the guy that the opposing teams have to, to, to game plan for. He's just uh, tremendous. 
uh, passionate player, a guy that the Bengals fans have grown to really love just the way he plays in addition to his production. The other guy, Sam Hubbard, uh, a, a hometown kind of hero type player, third round draft pick in 2018, been very consistent. Um, Hendrickson's kind of helped elevate his play um, and, and they they are a really good tandem. Um, he's kind of one of the top uh, pass rushers from that 2018 class. Um, he's really established himself here. Had 7.5 sacks last year. Um, just consistently good. Um, I think he kind of goes under the radar as well. Um, just kind of an impactful player. Uh, real a low, uh, locker room leader as well for them. Mm-hmm. Covered Sam at Ohio State. I got I got to say, I did not think he'd be this good in the NFL. I thought he had a chance to like kind of be a tweener. And instead, he is like an incredibly productive defensive end for a really good team. By the way, Hubbard, 395 snaps this year on the field a lot. Hendrickson, 333 snaps. Again, really productive, high-end, high-motor guys who are on the field all the time. Irie, for the Browns, two very similar guys. Who are you putting out for defensive end for the Browns? So for defensive end, first off, we have – I sound like Michael Buffer doing this. I've got Miles Garrett coming out. Uh, I mean – when you talk about Garrett, I feel like the name is already a resume enough. But, of course, you know, three-time All-Pro, two-time first-team All-Pro, specifically three-time uh, Pro Bowl selection. I mean, when it comes to him and within that position, he just creates so much chaos to the point where you've had teams that we've literally seen with their own eyes had to double, even sometimes triple team them. I can give an example of when we saw it when they played the Chargers and on almost every play they had to do that just to keep them away from Austin Eckler. It's quite effective during that game, but the numbers are there. Uh, he, he's tied for fifth right now with, with his six total tackles this season. Is uh, According to PFF overall, aside, put aside position, his PFF grade for overall defense uh, – defensive grade is 92.1 so he just creates chaos wherever he is the second defensive end off the bat is uh jadavion Clowney. now this is somebody that he spent his first few seasons with the houston texans he's a former number one overall selection he did a year in uh in seattle along with another year clears right in tennessee but he did sign with the browns a couple of years ago and then he resigned again in march he's somebody that has stayed steady within his nfl career but he's also dealt with injuries we saw how effective he was earlier in the season until he had the injury versus the New York Jets. Uh, he left the game early with because of his ankle. But aside from that, he's came back and played a couple more games this season. He's had 12 total tackles. And somebody that went healthy, he can definitely create chaos too. But those are the two uh, defensive events I'm putting out right now. All right, let's just take all four and move on to defensive tackle. Great discussion, everybody. Uh, Muhammad, like this is like, man. We are going to build a great 11-man defense here. If we're taking two of these guys, it, would you feel comfortable, Muhammad, if we make it an all-star team, would you be, feel comfortable if Hendrickson and Hubbard were the two guys, right? Say you were doing this with another team and it was like, ah, their end just kind of stink. We've got to take two. Can you build a really good defense with with Trey and Sam as your guys on edge? Oh, no question. No question whatsoever. You made a good point about Sam Hubbard, how he was kind of a tweener, you know, at Ohio State. And even I was reading like before that when he was in high school at Archbishop Muller, which is here in Cincinnati. I mean, he was scrawny. He was a lacrosse kid. And then he just bulks out of nowhere, gets to Ohio State and did what he does. And the consistency is not just mind blowing. But when you look at the pro football focus numbers from his rookie year in 2018 to today, his Numbers have gotten higher and higher each year. And then when you look specifically at this season, his overall grades in each game 
I think with exception to maybe the Cowboys game, each game gets higher and higher and higher. So, I mean, it, I don't want to sound cliche and say the sky is the limit, but the numbers don't lie. The analytics don't lie. I think he's only getting better and better. And the thing with Hendrickson, too, uh, to Michael's point, he has three and a half sacks, but you would think he has more than that. Just from how disruptive he's been, just from how many hits he's had. I mean, he leads the Bengals in QB hits. I think he's even top 10 in the uh, NFL in that category. There's a reason why he broke the franchise record for most sacks in a season last year. These guys elevate each other. I don't know that there's a more complimentary duo uh, at the defensive end position than Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. So there is zero doubt in my mind that if I'm going to even the lowest of lowly ranked teams who do not have great defensive ends, I'm going to bring Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson without a doubt. Dan, were you not interested a couple of years ago when Hendrickson was on the market of maybe having <laughs> him come to Cleveland and pairing him with Miles Garrett? I, I really wanted Trey Hendrickson to sign with the Browns. Now, I didn't know that he was going to get a $16 million a year contract at the time, and I don't know that the Browns had that sort of money that offseason. I mean, right now they're sitting on like 30-plus million of cap space, so you could have fit Trey Hendrickson in that. But, yeah, he was a guy that I just felt fit that profile. When you went back and looked at his combine numbers, they were actually – not that far off from Miles Garrett's and Miles Garrett's a freak and he lit up the combine and Hendrickson had some similar things there, especially when you look at the 10 yard split on the 40 yard dash and uh, some of that stuff. So he was a guy that I thought checked a lot of boxes for what this front office would look like. So I'm not really surprised. You know, the only question was in a full-time role, would he thrive? And he certainly has. And I'm not super surprised by that. I will say, I can remember, I thought maybe Hendrickson was, was a guy like in situational success, set up to succeed in New Orleans. And I was like, ah, the Bengals overspent. So Mike, I whiffed on that one because he's like a true, how much, is he like a true number one end? Mike, like this is a guy that demands attention. He can stop the run and rush the passer. Like how much of an overall impact player down to down would you describe Hendrickson as? Well, yeah, I mean, he's been getting triple teamed. I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy. You know, he's getting chipped by the the running back. They're trying all sorts of different kind of stunts on him, and it just nothing works. Um, it's getting held all the time now, and that's kind of been a growing frustration, I think, for the coaching staff and him. Uh, he got he suffered a stinger on on Sunday. Uh, you know, because a guy. <laughs> threw him into another player when he bent down kind of kind of a little bit of a dirty play i think and he was very frustrated um but that was kind of that's kind of what teams are having to resort to because they can't slow him down um and, and the double teams aren't working he's still kind of you know the sacks aren't there uh but he's making quarterbacks get out of the pocket he's making other guys um you know productive just because of the way he's kind of blowing up the front um him and garrett actually i think since t- 2020 uh, second and third in the league in sacks. Uh, he has 30. Uh, Garrett has 33. So you can kind of see right there just in terms of he's stacking the production, even though, you know, I, I don't think nationally he's very well known. But obviously in NFL coaching circles, they know the guy they have to circle. They know the guy they have to stop and they just haven't been able to do it. Um, you know, he's he's a he's a three down player. He, he doesn't come out. You know, if it was up to him, I think he wouldn't come out ever. But, um, you know, that's kind of what he's been for this team. I think he's helped transform them into that Super Bowl level defense. I, really skilled guys. But I think I I'd said, you know, high motor for Hubbard and Hendrickson. I think it's high motor for Garrett and Clowney, too. Right. When they when they really get after people, how much I read, do you feel like what the Browns do defensively? Does it start with defensive end? How much does their defense rely on Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney when they're both healthy and both in there together being disruptive and, and being all around players? Is that the starting point for the Browns? 
It definitely is, especially when it comes to the line. And also because even before, and I just even go back before this season, the whole vocal point and I feel what Demia was really talking about was that this team would be led by the defense. And so it all always started with Garrett and Clowney being the first two names coming out of everybody's mouth. So just off by that alone, they're kind of the gold standard when it comes to them going out there, setting the precedent, setting the tone, and creating chaos and disruption everywhere. So they've definitely focused on quite a bit this season when healthy. And Mike, is that the same thing for the Bengals? Like, does it start? Does everything start with Hendrickson and Hubbard, or is that a bridge too far? A, a little bit. I mean, they, they're more like a, we got to stop the run, and usually with DJ Reader kind of starts up there, and then they, they kind of have success that way. But, I mean, when in passing situations, um, this team feasts. I, I think that's what teams don't want to do. I think you've seen, you know, teams like to try to run the ball because if, if they're in third and long – uh, they're they're in trouble just because of the options that uh the you know the, and the talent the Bengals have up front. So I think teams specifically want to avoid situations where they make it so Hendrickson and Hubbard can define the game because then you lose. All right, so I, we don't want to brush past Miles Garrett, Dan. I think he's the highest graded guy in, in PFF at defensive end. We know what Miles Garrett does. If you're picking two here, Dan, who are you going with? I mean, I, th- I think it's easy, and, and I'll just say Miles Garrett is, is the first pick. I, I just think when you watch him, I mean, first of all, when you just see him, when you look at him, it's like this person is not a human being. And then you watch him play, and I mean, he's getting killed out there. We, you know, you talk about Trey Hendrickson getting doubled and tripled, and the same thing is happening to Miles, and he's he's getting chipped, and teams are being physical with him. But I mean, throughout his career, the only thing that has been able to slow him down is really kind of him, right? He had the Mason Rudolph incident and that ended that season short uh you know he got COVID that's obviously not his fault but he got COVID in 2020 and never really recovered from that um the rest of that season you could just tell that that it was affecting him the whole you know for those two months you know he he rolls his Porsche over this year and and that cost him a game and he did he really didn't look like the same player until this week but the bottom line with Miles Garrett is when you put him out there in, in a game against the Baltimore Ravens and he makes Lamar Jackson look human that just speaks to how good Miles Garrett is. And when he's not on the field and, and Clowney's out, which he was kind of a part-time player the other day, this team can't create any pressure w- without those yeah. two guys, but specifically without Miles Garrett. So I, I think he's the easy first pick here, and I think Trey Hendrickson is the easy second pick. Muhammad, are those your two guys too, or would you go a different way? I think Dan actually makes a good point. I, I stick with Hendrickson because I think he's only elevating higher, but – yeah, I think if you have to pick between Garrett and Hubbard, you got to go with Garrett. I mean, again, Hubbard's great. It doesn't take away from what I said earlier. But, yeah, I mean, when you can make someone like Lamar Jackson look human, I mean, yeah, there's there's no doubt. I think even uh, if I remember correctly, when the Browns were in the playoffs two years ago and they played Pat Mahomes, I think he made him look pretty human too. I, and I think even in the season opener the year after that, I, that kind of sticks out to me too because Pat Mahomes is an MVP quarterback like Lamar, so – I think I'm going to have to roll with with Garrett and Hendrickson too. In terms of Miles Garrett looking, making great athletic quarterbacks look human, one of my overarching memories from the pandemic is being on a Zoom call after the Browns-Texans game, and I have a bunch of Disney World stuff in my basement. So I had all this Disney World stuff behind me, and I was asking Deshaun Watson about Miles Garrett chasing him on a play, and they were like running the same speed. And I think Deshaun Watson was like, "What is? why does this guy have all this Disney World stuff behind him? But it was another thing of like, hey, it was a moment of like Miles Garrett making, making a really athletic quarterback kind of look human for a moment because of what Miles Garrett can do. Um, and now look what, and now life has come full circle. 
Mike, how are you figuring this out? Top two defensive ends. Yeah, same way. I, I think the probably if we were doing a bench, I think the more interesting discussion would be who you take, uh, Hubbard or or Clowney, because I, I think Garrett and Hendrickson are just. I mean, it's easy. It's you know one one A and one B. I, I don't think that there's any sort of. Uh, I mean, just the numbers, the the impact that they have. I mean, everything kind of lines up um, for for them to be your starting. You, you know, that's a, that's in a tandem that you wouldn't want to face. So, so Irie, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to assume you're going to go Garrett and Hendrickson also, Irie. And Mike asked an interesting question. Let's say we want to have a third down package and maybe we have an end who's going to slide inside, right? Who would you take Irie among Hubbard and Clowney as the third guy? I mean, I to answer the first question, yes, I, I am going to go with Garrett and, um, and Trey. I think we can – those are – disputably the two best that we've said right now, but regarding the third, uh, I mean, with the second question, honestly, I'm for regency bias. I have to go with Sam only because I'm thinking as great pressure as Clowney will put on this play on this third down. Am I sure that he's going to be able to stick through the next series? I mean, it's not, it's honestly just been that type of narrative, that type of theme for him this season. And I hate to put it that way, but you know, there's been multiple games where he's had to leave early, whether he comes back or not. So I know Sam was going to do just as good a job and be there on the next play if needed. I think possible to say that like Hubbard may be still an ascending player and Clowney just because he's been in the league a little bit longer, maybe not, maybe a descending player, maybe plateauing. Dan, how would you work out the third spot? Well, just to make this podcast boring, I'm going to agree with Irie for, for the same reasons. I think, you know, I really like Clowney and I think Clowney is still a really good pass rusher. I think he's great against the run, but I don't know that I trust him to be there every single game like Hubbard has been. Um, you know, last year, the Browns got a healthy season out of him. And now here we are this year and he, you know, hurts his ankle against the Jets and he comes back and then he misses the next game and then he misses a bunch of snaps against Baltimore. And, and that's just sort of the Jadavion Clowney experience. He has struggled to stay healthy and struggled to stay on the field consistently. So I think that's the only reason I would take Hubbard. But I think, you know, availability does matter. Um, so I think that's why I would take Hubbard over Clowney. But I do well, think Clowney might, I, th- I think Clowney on paper is a probably a better player. Well, to your point though, I mean, can you imagine Sam Hubbard played, uh, a thousand one hundred snaps, including the playoffs last year, uh, and I mean to get high level production and a, a thousand snaps from a defensive end. I mean that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, just in terms of the workload that you have to sustain and the the physical toll. I, I you know like you said, could could Clowney do that in a season that, that, that you know if you were making a deep playoff run and Hubbard showed and he, and he hasn't had any letdown this year so it's not like we're you know they got the workload and now you know he suffered for it uh you know played 70 snaps a couple weeks ago so I, I think Hubbard the consistency he shows and the, the workload he gets um is, is pretty unique at that position in terms of just they, they just say go out there and they never show kind of any uh you know never bring him back I'm not going to make us do take a pair, right? Take, would you take Hendrickson and Hubbard or would you take Garrett and Clowney? Because if we're winding up at a spot where probably Garrett's one and Hendrickson and Hubbard are probably two and three and Clowney's probably four, but you know what? They're all, there are, there are teams that would take Clowney as their number one defensive end to be like, Oh, we'll take that guy. This is a position of strength here. But if we tried to do that, then, then we would never have any safeties on this team and we would just be doing defensive end. So in the end, we're going to go with Miles Garrett and Trey Hendrickson as the starting defensive ends on our all 22. And we're going to have Sam Hubbard ready for the third down package. We're all good with that. Look at us getting along. 
dominating the world. Well, not the world. Dominating Ohio while getting along. That's what and we're soon the to world. Do. Yeah, and soon the world. Yeah, that's going to be a big podcast when we have like 17 different beats on here. And so like, what do you, you, you cover the Broncos for Cleveland.com, Cleveland.com slash Broncos. Really? It's like, no, yeah, yeah. We just think we do it well. So anyway, uh, that's maybe, that's probably like 18 months away at the very least. When we come back, we're going to get a, go a little quicker because we're not doing a nine hour podcast. We'll do defensive tackles for our Ohio all 22 next on the crossover edition of Strictly Stripes and the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, we're back to talk defensive tackles, building our defense for the Ohio All-22. Muhammad, Bengals defensive tackles, who you got? Oh, we are, All right, we got defensive tackles, like you said, starting off with B.J. Hill, and this guy's story is great. So he gets uh, traded from the New York Giants right before the season last year for Billy Price, who, funny enough, was a center that you probably covered at Ohio State. Uh, I, I and that was one I, of— I went to Panera with Billy Price one time. I covered him so well. See? So you went to Panera with uh, Sam Hubbard too, right? <laughs> it's what I do you with went to Panera with everybody. Time. It's a rite of passage, yeah. No, that's awesome. But, you yeah, know, in all seriousness, yeah, so he was traded uh, right before the season last year. He mostly sat behind Larry Ogunjobi, who came from, I think it was, I get it mixed up, uh, the Browns, funny enough, or the Steelers. I forget which one he came Brown. from. Because he, yeah. he went to one of those teams, came from the other. I'm a scatterbrained guy right now but anyhow so he gets put into that position when Ogunjobi got hurt and he started yeah the last two or three games of the season and he made one of the most signature plays in the AFC championship last year when you might remember he jumped up and picked off Patrick Mahomes which set up the touchdown to Jamar Chase that capped off Cincinnati's historic comeback and that earned him the starting spot this year on the right side of the uh, defensive tackle position he hasn't been short of anything great. He's been uh, on his stuff. He's got 28 tackles this year. He's, you know, a key cog in that rush. And then the biggest piece, though, who is unfortunately on the injured reserve right now, although he's eligible to practice this week, DJ Reader, a guy you cannot say enough about. I know you have the pro football focus grades in front of you, Doug. He's one of the best graded uh, tackles against the rush. It is unfortunate that he's hurt. Zach Taylor said he's probably not going to play this week, but with that aside, the guy's still a monster. He really, I think, had his best season last year when he came to the Bengals. And, you know, that was one of the best pickups that I think they could make. And that is the Bengals D-line right there. Only 97 snaps for Reader this year, but the third highest PFF grade among defensive tackles in those limited snaps. So pretty darn good. But watch out, folks. Here come the Browns defensive tackles presented by Dan Lobby, and they might even have one of them who has a PFF grade over 40. Let me check. Dan, what do we got? I mean, we can just skip this segment if we want. If we're, if we're looking to save time from that defensive end discussion, we could just skip this part if we want because it is it it's is the, It's the All-Ohio 9 on defense. Everybody like nine and a half. It's DJ Reader, and he's like, is there anybody else here? There's no Browns guys here. E. So uh, I'll just give you a rundown of, of what the Browns have at defensive tackle. And I'm actually, I have PFF up here, and I'm surprised at the number of pressures that the starting defensive tackles, Taven Bryan and Jordan Elliott, have produced, according to PFF, because I don't remember them. Now, Taven Bryan did get a sack 
on Sunday. So I'll give him that. But he's one of the starters, uh, a former first round pick that the Browns signed away from Jacksonville. He's playing the highest percentage of snaps that he's played in his career already. In fact, he's already almost surpassed the number of snaps he played last year in Jacksonville. He's at 67%. Um, Jordan Elliott, a former third round pick in 2020, they were hoping really talking up this off season, hasn't really made the leap that, that maybe they were hoping he would make. And then behind him, you're looking at Perion Winfrey, a, a fourth round pick who just doesn't look ready. And, and I don't know if he will be or not. And then Tommy Togiai again, Doug, there's a lot of former Ohio state guys here that we're talking about. Tommy Togiai, another fourth round pick from 2021, who has also been in that second unit on, on the defensive line with Perry on Winfrey. And, you know, he's a big, strong guy. That's how he came as advertised, but he just hasn't been there. And as I'm looking at this PFF page, his coverage grade is his highest of the five things that they grade, which is not ideal for a defensive tackle. So it's been a disappointing group and it just stood out to me. You know, we've seen teams run at will on this Browns defense And it stood out to me on Sunday that when Baltimore kind of decided, hey, you know what, all this running outside stuff is kind of stupid. Let's just run straight ahead. They almost put together a game finishing drive until Jeremiah Wusukoromoa forced a fumble. Um, So this team is very vulnerable up the middle because the defensive tackles just haven't been good enough. Well, not to you say s- pro football focus is the end-all, be-all, but both starting tackles have a missed tackle percentage of over 20%. So that's not a not a great not a great starting point for them. You start yeah. when you go to the PFF defensive tackles page, like you think, did I break the internet? Why is it? Why are there no Browns guys on here? And it's like, oh wait, they're at number 153. Um, Mike, are the Bengals defensive tackles good? Like when Reader's healthy, and and if they're putting Hill and Reader out there. You feel pretty good about that? Yeah, that's a competent uh, grouping. I mean, and Hill's kind of held down the fort. You know, he was kind of um, a considered a bust in New York, in New York uh, by the kind of the end of his tenure a little bit, you know, disappointing. But he, I mean, he's been quietly consistent. You know, he's kind of one of those players where in like fantasy baseball where you don't like him, but he's like a competent baseball player, like in real life. Like he's a good person to plug in your team. Like I, I don't think any team out there would be unhappy with BJ Hill kind of uh, being a complimentary starter on your team. I mean, Reader's kind of the standout, obviously, and he's going to make the plays in the run game and, and be a real challenge to get past. But uh, but BJ Hill, I think, is obviously better than what the Browns are putting out there. I think they would, uh, you know, give an arm and a leg to have him right now. And just in terms of, you know, he's a consistent player. Don't have to worry about him. Made some plays, you know, obviously, like Muhammad mentioned on the run to the Super Bowl and, and built on that and to a starting role this year. Um, and, and they haven't regretted it. And so I, I think they're very happy with that starting, too. I think it's pretty easy in terms of if you're picking an all 11 that these two guys get it. I don't think there's any bias involved. It's just that they've got a very competent defensive tackle duo in the middle. Irie, how, how would you describe how much of a problem defensive tackle has been for the Browns this year? Are they, are they getting by with guys not playing that well, or is it like a, a real issue? It's, I, I don't want to say how do I put it? The short answer is yes. It's been quite a problem. It's been quite an issue for these guys. When you see them on the field, you think, at, especially at first light, I mean, they have the suit, they have the, the figure that we look for within their position. But then you just watch them, and their skill set, it just it looks far from polished. And it shows 
definitely within the games within their the rush defense, which, I mean, we've criticized and spoken so much about the Browns' rush defense or past defense. Either way, both are towards the bottom, and that's a part of it with them. You can only expect so much, and, I mean, we, we mentioned of Elliott and Brian. Miles Garrett, for example, we, we're just speaking about, he missed an entire game, yet he almost has just as much total tackles com- as those two combined, and he missed a full NFL game, a game where they could have got those numbers up alone. So it is definitely an issue and something that uh, is something that they've checked up. I mean, so they're probably talking about it right now as we speak at the table. It almost does feel like, Dan, that with what the Browns are doing, with trying to find, you know, Elliott in the draft and Togiai in the draft and Winfrey in the draft and Brian as a free agent. They've other they've had other guys in here. Malik Jackson last year, right? It feels like they're waiting sort of to hit on a B.J. Hill type, right? That like B.J. Hill was in New York and he was good, but the Bengals were able to get him in a trade. Do, do you agree, Dan, that the two bank like Reeder is really impactful, right, when he's healthy? But it's almost like, I think like Mike said, man, like the Browns would, the Browns would take a B.J. Hill like right now, and they haven't been able to sort of strike on that guy. Are the two Bengals guys the two guys here, do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think they are. And and to your point about how they've sort of built this, it's clearly a position that they don't put high on their priority list. They don't want to spend a lot of money. Now, I would imagine, look, if we're talking about an elite, like one of the elite defensive tackles in the game, they would spend money for him. But if it's just sort of a, an above average guy or something like that, they're just not going to invest a lot of resources in the position. They've used, you know, like I said, a third round pick on Elliott, two fourth round picks on Togiai and Winfrey. You know, those are okay picks, but they're not like, you know, you don't know what you're getting in those rounds. You know, the the miss percentage in those rounds is is still pretty high. You know, they let Sheldon Richardson go a couple years ago because he was just making too much money. Uh, I I think he was over 10 million a year, which is, yeah, that's too much money for Sheldon Richardson, but he was a productive player for them, but but they chose to, to let him go instead of paying him that much. So it's just a position they haven't invested in. And I'm curious to see if this season changes that approach or if they just kind of write it off as like, this was a one-off, we're going to be fine. We're going to keep trying to find some gems in the middle of, in the middle of the draft and some steals. And like we tried to do with Taven Bryan, uh, I'm curious about that. But yeah, I don't think there's any arguments but one of the Browns tackles on this team. So it feels like I think we have a consensus here. We're looking to build consensus. We'll take the two Bengals guys at tackle. But I will say this. When Irie goes into the Browns locker room to tell Jadavion Clowney that he did not make this team, Maybe Clowney will ask if he can play tackle. Maybe that would work too. It's like Clowney's like, well, I didn't BJ Hill and why I, I, I can play tackle if you're going to do this. So we'll keep that open depending how mad Clowney is at Irie at that news. It's like, can oh, I do want to play inside on third down? So, I mean, speaking of that, Miles Garrett's first career sack, he lined up at three tech on like his third play and just blew through the line and sacked. I think it was Ryan Fitzpatrick or somebody like that. So uh, maybe we should include Miles Garrett in this discussion too. Well, tell that. No, we're going with Hendrickson and Hubbard at end and Garrett and Clowning at tackle and boom, look out. Again, we're pretending that we're going to go play the Eagles Steelers all-star team in the all 22 Ohio versus the all 22 Pennsylvania. But that will come after we take over Pennsylvania sports again. It was like another 24 months and we'll see what happens. All right. We're going to move to linebacker. And we had talked about like, how are we going to do this? Probably going to do two linebackers. We think we'll have like a two safeties, two corners, and then a nickel. So we're probably looking just for two linebackers here. Dan, let's start with the Browns linebackers. Who are you putting up? So I'm taking Anthony Walker out of this discussion. He suffered a season ending injury in, I think it was against Pittsburgh. So in week three, 
And I don't know if he's back with this team next year. There's a chance he is. Who knows? So I'm going to take him out of this discussion. And this is a really interesting position to talk about with the Browns because I think it's more about potential than anything else. So the guys you have are Deion Jones, who they just acquired. Um, He is, I I don't know, he's probably going to get more playing time now that Jacob Phillips is likely out for the season. He he was another, he was playing middle linebacker in place of Anthony Walker, was struggling. Uh, I think that's probably Deion Jones' job now. The two guys to really talk about, though, are Sione Takitaki, who has really turned into a useful player. He was a John Dorsey draft pick, and he's been a good player for this football team. I don't know if he's good enough to put on this team, but he's a guy you want in your rotation. The big name, though, and I'm curious kind of how everybody, what everybody thinks of this guy, is Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Coming out of his rookie year, it seemed like, okay, the Browns found something here. They said they had a first-round grade on this guy when they took him in the 50s, and he looked like a first-round guy last year. This year, it's been a step back. Looked a little more like himself on Sunday, but still there, there were some flaws there. I think if we're talking upside, I think we have to consider his role on this all-Ohio team. But if we're just talking strictly performance this year, I don't know how he fits in there. But I think he's probably the most intriguing guy to discuss in this group. All right, Muhammad, who we got at linebacker for the Bengals? If we're starting at linebacker, you cannot overlook Logan Wilson. The crazy thing about this guy entering this season, he led the Bengals in interceptions last year as a middle linebacker. It's not really that shocking, though, because if you study on him a little bit, he was recruited to play at Wyoming as a safety. And then after his freshman year, uh, he played a scout linebacker and he never looked back from there, basically, is what happened. But yeah, I mean, whether he's kind of coming from the weak side or he's covering the middle, I mean, his flexibility, his movement. I mean, he's a linebacker, but you think he's a defensive back. I mean, there's one pick he had against the Jets this year where he... I think went just as deep as Jesse Bates and Von Bell, but he was right in front of the pass that Joe Flacco threw that got picked off. He is hurt right now. He did not play against the Falcons. Akeem Davis-Gaither got the nod instead. But Zach Taylor said he's day-to-day. There's some optimism. I don't know if there's enough optimism to have him Monday, but he will be back. He hurt his same shoulder that he had surgery on in the offseason last year after he tore his labrum, but really solid guy who led the team in tackles, or was at least one of the leaders in tackles, led team in picks. Then on the other side, Jermaine Pratt, who goes by GP Money, which I think is fitting. He really stepped up for uh, Wilson last week. I think he got the green dot because of Wilson's injury. He led the team and or had the second most tackles on the team. He, he's not a name you hear about a lot. Um, even coming out of college, he wasn't that big of a name. But he's one of those guys that I think Zach Taylor gives a lot of praise to. When it comes to just getting the job done, I mean, I'm not saying he's not good, but I just don't know if I'd put him at that elite status that Dan kind of gave to Owosu Koromora. But uh, yeah, Jermaine Pratt is the other main linebacker who plays alongside Logan Wilson. Mike, do you think we're going to be able to build a decent linebacker core here between these two teams? Uh, Yeah, I think Wilson would be the easy choice out of the two teams uh, in terms of um, – you know, a well-rounded players. And then I think, uh, I, I'm going to butcher his, what, how do you say? You can, just call him, you can just call him J. Okay. That's okay. J. Okay. I like the, see now that man, he's my top vote. Um, yeah. so uh, J. Okay. Um, it, uh, I think that in terms of last year, what, what he did, 
um, looks kind of like a similar, there, you know, l- very few weaknesses this year. You're t- saying he's taking a step back, but um, you know, I think that's probably the most complimentary duo that you could kind of come up with. I think Jermaine Pratt's not a, not a bad player, but I, I don't think he's a very an impact player. Um, not somebody you'd want in coverage very much, not necessarily sort of, I think as well-rounded as the other two kind of uh, with JOK, especially is capable of. Um, and you like kind of having that youth. I think if you're like, you were building a team around, that's probably the duo you would pick. Um, I, I think on paper, it sounds like Muhammad, you're you're nodding along with Wilson and JOK here. Yeah, I mean JOK, I would say over Pratt. And again, like Mike said, not that Pratt is bad. I just think JOK is that good because I think it was like two weeks ago he was the top overall linebacker on Pro Football Focus, or at least among AFC North linebackers, he was the top one. And I've seen this guy a little bit on tape. I mean fast i don't know if i'd say twitchy but really quick explosive in a way that jermaine pratt isn't so i would yeah i'd definitely say jok and wilson for my picks i re when dan's talking about maybe are we we're maybe starting to see jok get back to like super impactful jok so what, what's your expectation level Irie, for what we might see from from him the rest of this season i think that he's clean i think that he's clean uh clean it up a bit I'm going to give him the Dalvin and he somewhat experienced what we like to say a sophomore slump. I know we usually hear that when it comes to the players on the offensive side, quarterbacks, you know, running backs, whatever. But on the defensive side, I'm going to give him that benefit of the doubt, especially Dan, you mentioned earlier, Anthony Walker. I mean, the PFF numbers show that Walker, even after being out the rest of the season, is still top five within the overall uh, defense over like tackle grading. Yeah. At the same time, JOK, that impacted him in a sense to where we really saw him not play up to his full capabilities. And I think that had a part in his performance as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. But since then, he's cleaned up his act, and I think that he'll be better. And I mean, he just has that motor. You know, when we, I mean, yeah. even when it comes to locker room, his energy, his positivity, he's always got that smile on his face. It transitions onto the field just because he's, ta- just because he's played bad the last, uh, you know, a few games we've seen. I'm not going to throw him out entirely. So I agree with them having Wilson and JLK together. All right, Dan. So for zeroing in on JOK and Wilson here, if Anthony Walker was healthy, Dan, how do you think he would fit into this conversation? Because again, like his PFF grade is in the top 10 for all linebackers for the limited number of snaps he played before he was lost for the season. I think part of it depends on the discussion. Like, are we looking for a specific Mike linebacker? I'm going to wear the green dot guy. Then I would maybe sit here and make an argument for Anthony Walker, but you know, and he's been good. I mean, he surprised me. He was in a battle for that job with Jacob Phillips and they ultimately made the right choice and gave it to Anthony Walker. Uh, and, and I was really impressed with how he played this year. And I do think this defense misses having him in the middle. I, I think he was a guy that j- he was aggressive, but not overly aggressive, which is something that hurts JOK a little bit. Um, he was, you know, he's just a smart guy. He, he gets everybody lined up, gets them in position. I know they had those defensive breakdowns, you know, with him in the lineup, but I don't think those were his fault. I think there would be an argument to be made for Anthony Walker, but I still like the upside of JOK. Uh, you know, I think there's things he has to figure out. Like, is he too small right now? Does he need to maybe bulk up a little bit and find that right playing weight? You know, does he need to sort of not be that super aggressive you know, get beat on misdirections, things like that. But I still just like the upside of him, even though it it hasn't been perfect this year and it hasn't quite been what we all expected this year. I still think there's a really good player in there. So I I would still roll the dice on the upside of JOK, even over Anthony Walker. 
when we talk about upside, Logan's only in his third year and his second year as a starter. So um, he's on a similar path. I mean, he had a really good year on their run of the Super Bowl uh, and and was injured at the end and played through the injury in the, in the playoffs. Um, he's a guy that, that they see still is growing and going to get better. Um, and he's already very good and has the athleticism and, and, and they're, they're putting him in a lot of different situations because he can handle a lot. So um, he's on the ascent as well, um, only in his third year out of Wyoming. So I, I think then in the end, we feel pretty decent about this. We're taking two linebackers. We're going to take two young ascending players in Logan Wilson from the Bengals and Jeremiah Wusukormo from the Browns. That'll give us four Bengals and two Browns so far of the six players that we have taken. And let's get to the most athletic players on this team. And let's talk about the kickers. Mike. Make the case for the Bengals kicker. Yeah, What's it's going to be hard not to pick Evan McPherson just because, I mean, he's got like a range of like 70 yards, on a, uh, like especially in domes. Um, and he's one of those guys uh, that just changes the game in terms of what you're uh, – I mean, you cross, you cross the 50-yard line and you're almost in field goal range. As a rookie, he was 28 of 33, uh, had nine, one shy of the NFL rookie record, uh, field goals of 50 yards or more. Uh, was tremendous, uh, 14 of 14 in the playoffs. Uh, this year tied his own record uh, in the opener. I think it was 58 or 57-yard uh, field goal. Either way, it was really, really long. Uh, consistently hits him from over 60 in pregame warm-ups. I mean, you know, they don't let you do that all the time because they don't want to, like, miss. But if they, like, let him kick from 60, 60 between 60 and 65, probably make more of them than he missed. Um, really, just really, really good. All right, I read. Do the Browns have a kicker? I can't remember if they drafted one or not. Yeah, he goes by the man, the myth, the York. Uh, K York is the name, I believe. Uh, I mean, he's he's a rookie. I, I I don't really know what you know. I mean, compared to other kickers within this franchise history, he's probably he's probably already top five. He's probably already a legend. I mean, after that after that long game winning uh, field goal for what was it like fifty eight yards versus uh, Carolina, and then I just remember the next week seeing fans actually walking to the game with the, with this college LSU jersey on. I know they did not have that in the closet waiting for it. No, they did not have that the entire time. But, yes, when we're going down to the numbers, though, he's, you know, top 30 with an overall grading. And he's somebody that when you look, you're like, yeah, he's still got some, some ways to go. He's still molding his game, still molding together his skill set on the kicking, even though he had that high life this season, there's still been multiple games where he's missed field goals at critical points. I mean, we just saw it on Sunday versus Baltimore. We just saw it, we just saw it twice against the Chargers when he missed him from 40 and 50 yards. So it is kind of hard as uh, you know, said regarding choosing Evan because K York just still has ways to go and that's fine. But for this discussion, it's not. And I don't want to shortchange him. So Evan McPherson was 12 of 14 from 50 yards or more last year. And he's four of four this year. I, I just don't want to shortchange him on that. So, so no, I that's feel like it. Dan. It's it, it, sort of the discussion is uh, the whole off season. It was like, oh, man, if the Browns could take one player off the Bengals, it's like, yeah, yeah, Joe Burrow's good, and Jamar Chase is good, and Troy Hendrickson's good. But if you could only take one player off the Bengals and put him on the Browns, it'd be Evan McPherson. Like it was. <laughs> I don't know how we could pick Cade York because all anybody in Cleveland wants is for him to be Evan McPherson. It's like, oh, did Cade York have an Evan McPherson poster on his wall in college? Like, this is the template for how a kicker changes a franchise, what Evan did last year. 
Yeah, look, I, th- I think Cade York's going to be fine. I-, I think there's been some obvious growing pain since he hit that kick against the Panthers. Uh, he got the one blocked on Sunday that, that could have tied the game, but I-, I actually thought that was a a little bit of an unfair ask for him to to kick. There- there's a lot that goes in that. We don't need to go down that road. But anyway, I-, I think he I think he'll be fine. You know, even Evan McPherson has had his moments. The Green Bay game last year. Uh, you know, the week one against the Steelers, I know there was a long snapper injury that kind of threw things off there. You know, so he's he's missed some kicks that, in games that the Bengals have lost. But, you know, there's no way to make an argument for Cade York right now. I think he's going to be fine, though. And maybe maybe two years from now or a year from now, he is in this discussion with Evan McPherson. Yeah. Muhammad's about to make the case for Cade York, I think. Is that right? Is that what we're doing here? In an alternate universe, yes, but for the sake of this discussion, no. Um, I'm just going to go full Gen Z for a moment, which in case you all don't know, I'm only 24. I don't look like it, but oh, I'm going to go full Gen Z. And s- Mentally or physically? Yeah, no, definitely not physically. <laughs> um, Evan McPherson, I, I don't personally know Katie York. I've never seen him in person, but Evan McPherson – is one of the swaggiest, funniest, most charming people. Like if you go to the Bengals website, that that picture of him where he's just smiling, that is literally how he always looks in the locker room. Like I just see him, he's like, oh, hey, what's going on? He's got that little Southern accent. What's going on, Muhammad? And he's just like got a big smile on his face. And I think when you think about Everyone remembers, you know, during the Super Bowl halftime show, he was sitting watching. There was that still shot of NBC where he was just like this with his hands up. He is, he's just an easygoing guy. Like, I don't know how you don't feel relaxed when you look at a guy like that and just smile, you know, but I digress. All right. We're going to go with the swaggy kicker. And I do think the point of like, that's what the Browns want Cade York to turn into, but he's not there quite yet. So Evan McPherson is the kicker for the all 22. I re introduced the Browns punter to us. All right. So we got Corey Broquez, who is, uh, Somebody who's actually been around the league quite a bit. I mean, he started off uh, with New England, and then he went to Buffalo, L.A., Green Bay. But since then, I think you can say it's fair to say that he's found at home uh, here in Cleveland. I mean, he's ranked top 10 right now within average yards uh, per punt right now with 48.5. He's just somebody that, I mean, I can remember multiple times during the games where a co-reporter or even like a fan I would hear when they kicked the ball, it's like, whoa, that was going up high. So he's somebody that is very active, is very accurate within his kicks. And, I mean, that's all that I really have to say for the moment. All right, so I don't know. Let's try to keep the punter discussion, or the I don't know, under 30 minutes, Muhammad. Make your case for the Bengals. I know you love punters. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'll try, I'll try my best. It'll be difficult, but I'll definitely give it a best shot. Um, for the Cincinnati, it is the quintessential hometown hero, Kevin Huber. He's from Cincinnati, played high school ball at McNicholas in Cincinnati, played at UC, and was drafted in the fifth round by the Bengals. 14 seasons ago, so he's the longest tenured player on the Bengals, one of the longest ever in the team's history. Although I think he is getting closer and closer to the end because he almost lost his job uh, in the preseason. There was a very intense competition with Drew Chrisman, who's a young and up-and-coming punter. Uh, Ultimately... There you go from Ohio State. You know, Chrisman has the bigger, younger leg, and I think he really did outperform Huber much at training camp, but, you know, he rebounded from that slow start. Kind of uh, on the end of that competition, I think it came from Darren Simmons, the uh, special teams coach, kind of having trust in him, but 
really hasn't been the best year for him. And I just think it's it's not really a vindication against him. I think it's just age. I mean, he's almost 38. So he's he's getting to that age where it's just you start to see that drop a little bit. Dan, better punt numbers, better net for the Browns. You think that is the Browns punting good right now, Dan? Is it what do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I Corey Borquez has been good. Um, you know, he's he's the ball's going a long way when he kicks it. He's not kicking it into the end zone for the most part. He, he's pinned some teams back deep. I, I think he's been fine. Should we talk about the holding aspect of this? No, no one wants oh, to talk about it. Okay, just, just making I sure. Forget, I forgot who had the holders. <laughs> I like Dan, Dan's pun analysis. Is like, I don't know, the ball's on his foot, and then it goes up in the air, and then it <laughs> flies, and then it, the guy catches it, and it's a punt. Um, Mike is the Browns there. Have had, the Browns have had a million special teams issues, and I'm sure Mike Prefer's seat is as hot as it can get for a special teams coordinator in week seven, but Corey Bohorquez has not been one of them. No, if we were doing, if we were saying who had the better special teams coach, it would be no matter what team we were doing versus Mike Prefer, he would lose <laughs> that battle. Uh, Mike, are we giving it to the Browns here, or is there a case for? Well, yeah, no, I, I think Hubbard is best. Day. You know, he's he's a, a a record. You know, he's got dozens of records just because of his longevity here and uh, a, a place in uh, you know fans' hearts. But I think that they know that uh, if they had a choice, they'd probably you know, want the ball to go a little farther uh, at this point. Um, so I, I think you're going with the Browns. All right. Congrats to the Browns. That's their third person on the team. The Bengals had five. Dan, let's go to cornerback. And we'll start with you presenting the Browns corners. Well, th- this is one of the storylines this week, right? Because Jamar Chase and, and T Higgins had some things to say about the Browns corners in the off season. Uh, so this is certainly one of the intriguing storylines this year. There's Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom. We'll kind of focus on those two guys. Denzel Ward still in the concussion protocol. We'll see if he's able to get back uh, from Monday night. It seems like he should be able to, but you just never know uh, with, with things like that. He missed this last game in the concussion protocol. So, uh, the Browns just paid him at the when he signed his contract. He was the highest paid corner by yearly average. I think that's been beaten since then. Uh, but they obviously believe he's one of the top corners in the NFL. His PFF grades are low, but I don't know if I necessarily buy that. The Browns play; they're, they're kind of heavy on zone, and sometimes it looks like maybe Denzel made a mistake when maybe he didn't. So it's just difficult to tell. I still think Denzel Ward in man coverage is one of the better corners in the NFL. The guy I really like though, I, mean, I really like Greg Newsom, number 26 overall pick a couple years ago. And uh, he's a guy that is competitive. He's going to be up to the challenge in facing Jamar Chase if that matchup happens. And he can play inside and outside. When they go to three corners, Greg Newsom moves inside and they bring in either Martin Emerson or Greedy Williams to play outside. So he's a versatile guy that can play both of those positions and I really like him. I, I think he's a guy that ultimately could get paid a lot of money, too, to play that position. Uh, neither neither guy really gets a lot of interceptions, although Denzel Ward does kind of have the Bengals number. He, For whatever reason, he plays really well when the Browns play the Bengals, including a pick six last year uh, to end the Bengals' first drive. So this is an interesting interesting discussion. If we want to throw Martin Emerson Jr., uh, you know, I think it's worth this. Throw him in there. We are taking three corners, I think, here. I think we're taking a nickel corner. Emerson, okay. 73.4. It's the highest PFF grade among the Browns' corners. And he's played 310 snaps as a rookie. That's the seventh most snaps of any rookie corner. So I think it's worth it, Dan. Okay, so Martin Emerson was a third-round pick. Actually, the first pick the Browns made last year. Like I said, when, when Greg Newsom moves inside when they go to nickel, 
Uh, it's usually either Greedy Williams or Martin Emerson out there. And Emerson was the guy who's been in in place of Denzel Ward. And he's been targeted a lot. Teams are going at him, and I think he's held up pretty well uh, in a lot of those situations. So I, I like the three corners that the Browns have there. The, the, you know, Emerson will kind of see it's still too early. But I like the guys they have there, and I'm, I'm actually curious. I think this might be one of the positions that's really interesting to see where it ends up uh, with who we have. All right, Mike, Bengals corners, what you got? Yeah, I mean, the, the guy that, I mean, should be probably on the team uh, is Ch- Ch- Chidobe uh, Awuzie, um, former Dallas Cowboys um, corner, um, just a, a really important player to this defense. They signed him away, and I think he's kind of been one of the important pieces in that secondary, came out of the Pac-12 um, from Colorado. Uh, I know those uh, PFF, you know, grades are a little wonky on some of the secondary coverages, but uh, they have him being targeted 41 times and only allowing 18 receptions. Uh, that's really good. Uh, he leads the teams with six uh, pack pass breakups. Uh, he's been kind of a stabilizing uh, force. Doesn't get beat uh, long very much. He's always in the picture uh, on coverage. Um, just a very smart player, um, well respected in the locker room, and I think um, just a, just a, you can't understate uh, how important he is to this defense. Um, the other guy they have starting for now. I'm not really putting him even up for the team. I think if we were doing an all trash talking team, Eli Apple might get there. But in terms of like who we're picking, I mean, it's like I don't even feel good about. I mean, he's. He's 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 their weak part of I think the secondary in terms of, you know he's the guy that you're going to get target uh, getting beat long. Uh, you know he's he's the guy that teams are looking at and see an opportunity. Um, they got some snaps to Cam Taylor Britt last week, and that's kind of their plan going forward. Uh, he's a rookie that just came off IR, uh, hasn't didn't play in the really the preseason, so you can kind of sense where things are going there. So not sure that he'd be a great candidate, but I would uh, uh, you know Awuzie. I'd make a make a claim for being uh, you know deserving of, of one of the two spots. Is is Mike Hilton as a nickel? Yeah, here Hilton would be a safety, we a safety and, and 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 no, I think he's he's kind of technically like a safety type. So you know, if we we're doing a third. He'd be a guy uh, more of a safety okay. type nickel. Okay, it's funny. Eli Apple that remains one of those tenth overall pick out of Ohio State, and I was like, what? So I mean, he's had a very productive. You know, it didn't exactly work out in New York, but. Man, you know, he played a lot for a team that made the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, so I mean, I, I understand. he's burned bridges everywhere he's gone. So, I mean, that's there's something to be said for that. I mean, he's a fun player to kind of cover, you know, right? Like, you know, he's, he, he talks trash a lot. So, I mean, that's good. Yeah. In terms of, like, who you'd want as your your best corner, I don't know that, that he's up there yet. Or, I mean, anymore. So, so, so let me just, for Muhammad, good coverage? Like, did the Bengals' corners, do you feel pretty good? Or, or how much... Does maybe the uncertainty around Apple affect this? I mean, no, like a Wuzier is a solid. Yeah, no question there. Like, I mean, he's not just fast and speedy. Like he could tackle like a linebacker. Like, did you see what he did to Kyle Pitts on the goal line on Sunday? Like he tackled him like a linebacker would. I mean, and the guy isn't even like physically a linebacker. Like he's built like a corner, but I mean, his strength is just unparalleled. Oh, with Apple, man, I just I was laughing because after they beat the Saints, which, of course, was the team he burned the most bridges with, he told me, find a defense that doesn't allow a, a touchdown in the second half of six games. We're the best. And I'm like, I agree with you, Eli, but I don't know if you should be the one saying it. Because, like, I mean, to Mike's point, he really has been the weak link in the in the corner position. Like, he almost got burned by practice squad players against the Saints. And that's why I think the crowd was loving it was because he almost got burned by 
undrafted rookies. Like there was even one that actually did burn him on an end around run that he could have stopped him on. But again, look, he's not horrible. He did play a big run in the Bengals run last year. Like when he tackled Tyree Hill at the goal line in the AFC championship. I mean, that could have changed the tide of the game if Hill scores that touchdown. But besides that, this was then. I mean, we're talking about now. I, I just, I'm not very high on him. High enough to, to maybe make him make the cut. But we'll, we'll, but we'll let him. I mean, HIPAA, again, when, when the All-Ohio 22 is taking on the All-Pennsylvania 22, I mean, we're, Eli's going to be on the sideline behind Miles Garrett and Trey Hendricks and be like, you like that, Pennsylvania? Not if you he's not starting. Not if he's not starting. He's going to go look well, to make well, the All-Indiana team. No, <laughs> or whatever other team is looking. <laughs> Any other Rhode team Island at this point. Team. Right. No, 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 but we can let him be on the bench with Jadavion Clowney who's trying to play tackle, right? Like the guys who aren't starting can come and, and hang out, right? And just Right, but I mean, I think that's a good – he can be he can be on the sideline, but he's not playing uh, no matter what. I'm not putting him in my in my starting lineup. So I think that says a lot. Like, you guys are like, I don't really care who the three corners are as long as one of them's not Eli Apple. Then we're good to go. But no, I mean, uh, I, but I mean, on paper, I mean, it seems like Emerson's really jumping out. But I mean, I'm curious to see who you guys think is that top – I mean, do, who's the top guy there? Is it Newsom? Well, I do think – I mean, if we're going with three corners, I, I, I read just like to get a handle on the Browns corners real quick. Like, do you think they've played well this year? Again, they have the four guys who kind of play greedy Williams, you know, hasn't played that many snaps because of the injury. How have you felt about the Browns corner so far? I With the state of this defense, the state of these corners right now, I mean, they've played well. I know that's not the most convincing. Yes, they've been terrific and stuff, but they've done well with what they have in a sense, especially when the highest paid player at the position in the league right now is underperforming terribly this season and it's on concussion protocol right now still. So it's just kind of a give or take. It's like a, a box of chocolates. Yeah. Oh, I love chocolate. No, so as long as, but we're just not getting the apple flavored chocolate. Other other than that, we're great. Uh, Dan, does it feel like maybe if we're gonna we'll put three corners on the field because it's a passing league, and you know the all Pennsylvania team they're just gonna put Mitch Trubisky on the field and let him cook, and they'll probably play Jalen Hurts. <laughs> Are we gonna put Ward and Awuzie on the outside and Newsom as the the slot corner and roll? Does that make sense here? That that's the argument I would make. Um, I, I think Ward is, listen, I know Ward's not, maybe not having the year that people expected him to have. Again, I don't know how much of that is scheme. I mean, there's there were these blown coverages against Carolina and, of course, infamously now against the Jets. And I just don't know how much of that is, like, the scheme is bad or, like, Denzel Ward messed up. Or maybe John Johnson messed up or Grant Delpit messed up. It's, it's so hard to tell. I mean, I've been watching Denzel Ward since 2018. And I think he's really good. Is he second highest paid corner in the league good? Eh, maybe not. He's not Jalen Ramsey. He's, he's not some of these other guys. But I think he's a really, really good corner. And then if we're, if we're going to make a case for a third corner, I would absolutely, as, my, as much as I like Mike Hilton, and again, he was a guy that intrigued me. Like, yeah, if the Browns yeah. are looking for a slot corner, maybe you go steal Mike Hilton from the Steelers. I think Newsom partially on the upside debate or upside argument. I, I would rather have Newsom playing inside with Ward and um, with Ward as one of the outside corners. Muhammad, do, can we round this into form here? Ward and Awuzie outside, Newsom in the slot, or are we, we got to squeeze somebody different in here? Uh, Ward and Awuzie on the outside for sure. I'm definitely with you on that. 
I don't know. I'm a little torn between uh, Newsom and Hilton because like Dan makes a good point, but I just really like Hilton's story because like he was undrafted coming out of college. He really built a name for himself last year. I mean, he had that really nice pick six against uh, Pittsburgh, and he had a lot of other big plays. I might, I'm honestly kind of indecisive on that. I might just roll with you guys, but I, I really think it's even. I think it's very even with um, with Hilton and him, but I, I just kind of go with what Dan said. I think I'll just roll with that. Mike, can, Mike what do you think? Can I ask something, ahead, can I ask something real quick about Hilton? How, how much does he play yes. outside? I don't have the exact numbers yeah. in front of me, but uh, Mike, he usually plays outside, doesn't he? Yeah, typically? I'm looking by yeah. where he's lined up. Uh, or, I mean, it just depends, I think, on the game and who they're playing. No, he's by. lined up primarily in the slot. Uh, yeah. 286 snaps. Uh, very out, very wide. I think he's only played, what, 10 snaps this season. So uh, yeah. very, very much an inside type of player. Right. That, that's what I meant. Yeah. Inside, not outside. So, uh, Mike, yeah. what do you think? Is there a compelling case here, Mike, for, for Hilton? Is this – and, again, I feel like we've had a couple positions here where we're trying to pick guys maybe from weakness. We've had other positions where we're picking from strength. It feels like maybe we are picking from strength here if we're trying to figure who this nickel might be. How strong is the case for Hilton, Mike? Yeah, I mean, he's he's. I mean, he played a thousand snaps too last year. I mean, he's been an important part of this defense. I don't think there. I mean, maybe there's not as much separation, but maybe if you want a little more versatility, you, you go with with Newsom. I don't. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think Hilton's got a very specific role right now for this defense. Um, in, in kind of those passing situations. Um, and you know how? Uh, do you want that? third corner to be more of a versatile guy too, just to give you options. It's, you know, I guess it's a made up team. I guess we can decide what we want, but um, you know, it's, I'm not sure what, what we're all looking for. That's, that's why we do these. Like it's exactly. completely made up and we can do, we can do whatever, whatever we, want, we yeah. want. Yeah. Dan, what do you think here? Like, I know you're making a case here for Newsom that in your mind, does it feel like if we're trying to put the best 11 football players together for a defense here, Greg Newsom's one of them. Yeah, and and that's why I asked the question about Hilton because you know. Yeah, I think say, that's a fair. I think that's I would I would agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I like the versatility and I like the fact that if I wanted to, I could say, all right, Newsom, you're going to play outside, and I wouldn't be afraid to put Newsom on another team's top corner. He's got really good length, kind of sneaky good length. Um, so I, that that's where I would make the case for Newsom is the versatility as well. I read like, does Greg Newsom feel like the kind of player to you that is like we're making an eleven-man all-star defense for Ohio, and Greg Newsom should be one of the eleven? I'm gonna agree and say yes on that. I'm actually gonna go with Dan on that. I, I see the angle. I see where he at first you're not thinking that at all. You're not even considering that. But when you watch him, the eye test shows that he's just sneaking on and just just a bit. Like the intangibles are there so he can be sneaky, especially within the inside outside. Nigga, wherever you put him in, he's gonna give it his all on that. Uh so I'm gonna agree here and make this all boring and agree with Dan. Alright, let's do it then. We'll put Awuzie and Ward as our outside corners and we'll play Newsom in the slot and we'll have uh, Eli Apple on the sideline, standing on the bench with a megaphone. With an I um, hate New Orleans you know. sign. <laughs> and the I hate New York sign. Yeah, we can play the Jets and the Giants, uh-huh. right? So that'll get them all fired up. You can do those guys. No, this will be great. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait until we make all these other teams. What other teams can we make? Make a California team. All right. So I'll, I'll get you guys a podcast schedule when we make the all 22 for the all the other teams as we continue to take over the world. But first, a quick break. When we come back, we got to pick safeties next on the All Ohio All 22.
All right, we have 11 spots so far because we have nine defensive players. We have a punter and we have a kicker. We have six Bengals and we have five Browns. And we got a two Ooh. safeties. Two safeties we got to put on this team yet. Mike, who are the Cincinnati guys we got to talk about? Yeah, uh, so we'll go with uh, Von Bell uh, to start, uh, former New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, part of their successful run, uh, kind of the three years they made the playoffs with him kind of in the starting lineup. He's done – uh, good things is a very good playmaker here. Uh, he's forced what, uh, six fumbles, I think, over the last three years and has, uh, uh leads the team in interceptions this year has been very consistent. Uh, then paired next to him is Jesse Bates. He might be part of an all California or New York team next year. He's going to, he's going to be in a contract kind of situation. So, uh, but right now he's been kind of the guy that's, uh, in 10 interceptions from 18 to 21, uh, played at one point, I think it was 51 straight games. Um, very consistent player, not, not, not a huge, uh, stat line this year, but not much has kind of gone his way. Um, so, you know, he's at one of those positions where, you know, you can only do what, you know, the, the, the play presents, but, um, very consistent players both are, I think in, in the secondary and, and, um, you know, make plays when they're called upon. And I think that's what the, that's how this defense has kind of thrived is that they've, the, both of these guys uh, have shown that they can uh, be playmakers uh, when, when needed. And yet another Buckeye in the back end with Von Bell. Dan, Brown safeties we got to be talking about. Who are they? Uh, there's, I guess I'll go three here. Uh, so there's John Johnson, who's your starter at free safety for the most part. Uh, and then Grant Delpit, former second round pick. Um, Andrew Berry's first second round pick back in 2020. Missed his rookie season with a ruptured Achilles. Uh, came back last year. You know, both those guys have kind of struggled this year. John Johnson was a big free agent signing before the 2021 season. Uh, and, and he hasn't quite lived up to what I think the Browns expected him to be. I thought he played better last year, actually after they put the green dot on him, which he did in LA as well. Uh, and I, I thought he was better. He might end up with a green dot now that Jacob Phillips is out for the year. So we'll see if that maybe changes the trajectory of his season a little bit it's been sort of a disappointing year for the safety position. Now, Ronnie Harrison also plays. They use him sometimes in the slot and they also use him as a third safety. They play a lot of three safety sets. I don't think he's in the discussion to be on this team, but we should mention him because he does play. I think it comes down to uh, the guys we're going to talk about are John Johnson and Grant Delpit. And both have sort of been disappointing. I think the theme of this podcast is the Browns defense has been really disappointing this year. And it's just gone across all positions outside of Miles Garrett. And safety is is certainly not immune to that. And one thing I should so mention I, that I think that our the safeties for the Bengals have benefited from Lou Anaromo, who has, uh, has a, a secondary background and has been able to kind of unlock their best play. Like Von Bell was thought of as kind of in the box safety uh, and, and you know, let go essentially from the New Orleans Saints because they thought he was very, you know, limited in the sense that his, he had a very specific skill set. Lou didn't think that and, and he had his best season last year uh, in the NFL. You know, so I, I think that they've been put in very good situations um, here with the Bengals specifically. Um, and, and, and I think that matters. So, but I, I do think this, uh, this duo is probably slightly ahead, um, of, of the Browns. Irie, what, what is the case? I, can you, what is the strongest case that you can make Irie for a Brown safety to be on the team here? Because they they have kind of pedigrees of what you think John Johnson, the third and Grant Delpit might be, but have they lived up to it? How do you do it, Irie? How do you make the case? I don't really know how you would make the case regarding their play. Uh, I mean, 
both of them are top three right now on the team within, you know, combined total tackles. I guess when speaking uh, specifically of JJ3, as we would call him, I mean, he is kind of, he's not entirely that, but kind of setting as that emotional leader for them. I mean, he just kind of goes, you know, goes out there and kind of plays with that passion that you would want within a safety. Delbound, on the other hand, maybe not all that loud, but still giving you something even when you, when you least expect it. That's kind of, I think, the best case you can make right now for these safeties. So does that mean, Muhammad, that we might wind up leaning here to the two Bengal safeties in Bell and Bates? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing with Bell, it, it is just so crazy to me, like that the Saints let go of him because – and that's where they screwed up is like they had a really – versatile safety who could do a lot but they just put him into a little box aka the box and so yeah I mean when you put this guy in the zone he's in the zone in the zone like literally I mean I think he's one of the Bengals best defenders regardless of position because of the fact that he can hit you hard when he plays a corner blitz or a safety blitz which we saw I think once or twice against the Falcons he leads the team in takeaways of at least interceptions I mean he, he just does it all. And, like, there's a very confident demeanor to him. And, I mean, there's a reason why Jesse Bates is in a contract situation. Like, he has said he wants to prove he's the best safety in the league. Not on the Bengals, in the NFL. Which is why I think Dax Hill will probably replace him. Because I don't know that the Bengals can shell out that kind of money for him next year when they try to give the money to players like Higgins and Burrow. But point is, he's one of the best in the league. Not just on the Bengals. And when you have someone like Bell who's just as high as him and a veteran. I mean, I just don't know how you can match up against, like Dan said, a very disappointing, you know, Brown secondary. Well, I don't know, Mike. Do, is this a pretty easy decision, do you think, to go with two Bengals here? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what uh, any coach would. I mean, if you're, you know, you're building a team and you want, you have those, that player pool, I think that that's what you'd take. Okay. Dan, yeah. Irie, any objections to this? I mean, I'd I'd love to sit here and like pound the table for a John Johnson or a Grant Elpit, but you just can't at this point in the season. And you know, maybe you know, a year ago when this defense kind of got things figured out and they were a top five defense in December and January, and they were keeping Aaron Rodgers scoreless in the second half and almost stole a game when Baker Mayfield threw four interceptions, I'd be able to make that case a little better, but. The state of this Browns defense right now is just not good. And I, it's just hard for me to sit here and say, no, you got to put John Johnson on this team because if there's one image that defines this Browns defense this year, it's a big pass play and John Johnson with his hands to the sky. Like what just happened on that play? So I, it, it's just hard for me to make a case for any, for either of the Browns safeties in this spot. All right, so if we're going with Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell, that would bring us to eight Bengals and five Browns. And if we're just doing defensively seven Bengals and four Browns, because we had split them on the punter and the kicker, and this would be our team. Defensive ends, Miles Garrett of the Browns and Trey Hendrickson of the Bengals. Defensive tackles, B.J. Hill and D.J. Reeder, both of the Bengals. Linebackers, Logan Wilson of the Bengals and Jeremiah Uwusu-Koromoa of the Browns. Corners, Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom of the Browns and Chidobi Awuzie of the Bengals. Safeties, Von Bell and Jesse Bates, both of the Bengals. 
Corey Bajorquez. What is it, Dan? Borquez? Bajorquez. That's the punter. Cor- sorry. Corey Bajorquez. Bajorquez. Corey. I like who's the guy before? The I, I that oh, I can't Jamie remember that guy's name either. I was Jamie Gillen. I was calling Jamie him Gilliam. Gilliam. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think he's with he's the He's a punter. Yeah. Punters. Evan McPherson. Now, if it was Drew Chrisman, I would know. Drew Chrisman, bottle flipper? Bottle flipper extraordinaire. You guys would be writing 15 stories about Drew Chrisman and how he flips bottles if they had taken him on the Bengals. So put that in your back pocket if he makes a team next year. Um, Evan McPherson of the, of the Bengals will be our kicker ahead of Cade York for now. Mike, does that feel like a good defense to you? Like if we're talking about Garrett and Hendrickson off the edge and the three corners and like, can we get after it with this Ohio defense? Yeah. And when there's no weakness, really, I mean, you, you feel good kind of shorn up. I mean, basically you got the Bengals kind of core and then you kind of take the best of the Browns and, and put them in there and you probably take Lou, <laughs> Lou as the defensive coordinator and, and you're probably a better coach team too, a little bit on the defensive side of the ball with the, the <laughs> to work with. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good group. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Lou. It is interesting kind of how – that's a very good way to put it. It's the Bengals core, and then the Browns kind of have these stars, Miles Garrett, Jeremiah Wusu-Kormoa, Greg Newsom, and Denzel Ward. But now you're building it around a foundation. Irie, like do you think – does this feel good? After a season of, of you watching a Browns defense that hasn't held up very well, what do you think of this 11? I'm for it. Let's do it. Who else are we going up against? Yeah, no, let's bring it all New York 22 and uh, all uh, Rhode Island 22. Muhammad, did you expect, Muhammad, that we might lean Bengals defensively in this discussion coming into it? Or are you surprised at all that we wind up 7-4 to four defense, 8-5 to five overall? I mean, not really. Like, like Mike said, I mean, it really is the core of Cincinnati's defense. I know we were kind of debating on – you know, Mike Hilton and then Sam Hubbard up against uh, the likes of Newsom and Clowney. But I mean, besides that, everything else is what I would have expected it to be. So I'm not really shocked by anything else. And even those names I just mentioned don't shock me. I just knew those would be the only real debatable positions in those respects defensively. All right. And in the end, Dan, what what do you think this tells us about the Browns defense? If they're getting four guys on an 11 man defense for the all Ohio. So I guess there's two things I'm thinking. The first is, you know, we came into this year thinking like the first 11 games, it's going to be run the ball and have what we all thought could be a top 10 or top five defense, and including the secondary. We thought the secondary would be kind of the core of this defense with Miles Garrett just causing problems up front. And so I think it speaks to how disappointing this defense has been. But also, I kind of think to myself, even if we did this in like February of last year, you know, when we were all really high on the Browns defense here. I don't know how many Browns players I would replace, you know, the Bengals players that we chose. So I think it's it's kind of interesting. Do the Bengals have a better core on defense than the Browns? I don't know how many people would have thought that back in February, but maybe we should have. Like the Bengals have a really nice group of players and the Browns core is just kind of, they have a star edge rusher. They have potentially you know one star corner and maybe another but beyond that i i don't know i do wonder if maybe we overrated some areas of this defense a little bit and and so what mike does this tell us about the bengals defense is this something that that the bengals do do feel good should feel good 
about where they are in building a cohesive defensive unit. I think they think they have a top 10 defense. They've played like it. Uh, I think they're going to finish the season like that unless there's something, you know, haywire. I mean, they're tinkering with the one corner spot, which has sort of been the weakness, but they haven't gotten really burned on it yet. Um, uh, You know, I I think they feel really good that there's very little weakness here. Teams are struggling to run against them. I mean, other than Lamar Jackson and and what Baltimore did a little bit, but I mean, that's kind of a a, a unique team, you know, Um, not not many teams can replicate that. Um, And so I, I think they feel like they've got, Look, they went to the Super Bowl last year. It's a Super Bowl level defense, and I think they that that all that group is back basically, essentially. So I think they've been happy with it since the start of the year. So that was the defensive all Ohio, all twenty two, except so it was, it was thirteen, and actually it's all twenty four. The punters and the kickers get overlooked, but we're gonna do the offense tomorrow, and we're gonna have um, another round of that. We're gonna do all the the positions on offense. You guys know what. We're going to do tackle and guard. You guys know the positions on offense. I don't think I have to read all 11. You guys will understand what that is. This was a defensive one, and we're going to be building up to this big game on Monday night. And you can read about it at cleveland.com slash Browns, and you can read about it at cleveland.com slash Bengals. And that's because we care about football. It's a football state. We're a football site. We've got football people, and we want to bring you everything. And it doesn't take away from anybody. It only adds, because guess what we just did? We just gave you an expert level, comprehensive discussion of the two NFL teams in the state of Ohio, all by our people. We didn't have to go somewhere else and say, oh, special guests. There's no special guests here. There's just employees. There's just hardworking folk who are out there trying to bring you the, not trying, that are bringing you the best NFL coverage in Ohio. So thanks to listening. Thanks to all of our Orange and Brown Talk listeners. Thanks to all of our Strictly Stripes listeners. If you're not listening to the opposing podcast, just go in those feeds and get signed up there because you like football. You want to figure out what the other side's doing, right? They got another game later in the year. So for now, thanks to Muhammad. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to Irie. Thanks to Dan. I'm Doug. Come back tomorrow for the offensive version of this. But for now, that was a special crossover edition of Strictly Stripes and orange and brown talk.